classes for male and fellowship. Hamburgers and hot dogs will be provided. Team members are asked to bring cookout pies, side dishes, and desserts. Uh, Steve Kendrick or the grocers if you have any questions. Now you might have to clarify that Dale because uh, uh, for some folks to me, being cookout style side dishes will pay for a bit in a bowl. But I think we know pretty much what the idea is, and it's good to see those things happening. And there are many other bullets, uh, things in the bulletin. There are those who are sick, those who are recovering. Um, please remember all of them in your prayers, those who are recovering from uh, or dealing with the sorrow and the transition of a loss of a loved one. But as we turn our attention, and well, I almost forgot the, the one I was waiting for last, sorry. Of course, this Saturday is what we are calling Saturday Bible Camp. And though I'll say more later, I have been very uh, overwhelmed and blessed by the outpouring of the response of people uh, offering to help and uh, people who've not had a chance to be involved in maybe the through the week Bible school have stepped up and, and uh, some new faces involved. And I'm so thankful for that. And I appreciate that. It's from 9.30 or 9 o'clock, sorry, to 3. And there's Bible classes and activities in the morning. There's going to be uh, a puppet show and a skit to, to reinforce what we've studied. Now, uh, if you're wondering about the outdoor activities, we'll st we're still going to have activities, but we'll make a decision on tomorrow uh, about whether or not, you know, the kids will still get their fun, uh, but it may not be what we'd originally planned um, because it's, probably going to be awfully wet out there. So we're going to, uh, just in case you're wondering about that, we have a game plan. We have a plan B. Uh, don't ask me what it is yet because I haven't written it. But there is one. Uh, so just, it, it'll be okay. Um, it will. Tonight, as we turn our attention to the Word of God, and as we think about, we unfortunately are having some technical difficulties and aren't going to have our PowerPoint, uh, which is fine. Um, I started preaching before there was such a thing as a PowerPoint. Um, and uh, used thing, in fact, the other day, and some of you won't have a clue. Well, no offense, a lot of you will, uh, but some of you won't know what I'm talking about. The other day, for the first time in years, we had to clean our rooms out at Wheeler. We had to move everything out of the rooms. They were doing it a little differently, and man, I, I, we found all kinds of stuff. We found, box, I found several, or I didn't, a friend of mine found several boxes of these empty uh, these plain, transparent sheets. Yeah, Of course, the machine to run that on has long since died and been in the garbage. You know what those are, right? The transparencies. Uh, so PowerPoint is a blessing, but we can live without it. Tonight, bow with me, please, and let's begin with a prayer. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to study your truth. Thank you for the privilege of being your children especially to think about our responsibility and our joy and our honor to share the truth of the gospel with someone else. Father, I pray that as we open your truth tonight, as we look into it deeply, that we understand exactly what you would have us to understand about being a sharer of the gospel of Christ. Help us, Father, to have open hearts and open minds and ready hands and willing feet to do the things you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I want to, and what I had intended to do is in the PowerPoint to uh, put the uh, last week as a, a little bit of review that there are three things that are absolutely essential if you and I are going to be effective in personal evangelism. Now, I always review just a little bit because I, you may be new to the class or watching, listening, uh, attending for the first time. I want to make sure, it is important to me at least, that when you hear the word from now on, when you hear the words, the term personal evangelism, that you will have a different frame of mind perhaps than you've ever had before. That it will not be this abstract thing. That it will not be this abstract thing that you, uh, okay, okay that, that means teaching somebody else. That means, uh, you know what it means, of course, but yet in, in our minds, for some reason, there is some kind of, that was, no, that's the wrong one. That's June the 2nd. Yeah, that's last week's. There should be a, one for this week. Mm, I put it in Dropbox. Oh. Oh, well. Okay. No problem. Plan B. Pla yeah, plan B. Uh, uh, but, and I see what they were doing, putting it up there for me to see that from last week, and I wasn't smart enough to pick up on that right quick, but that's okay. I watch them grin because they know that's what it was. Uh, you know you have to walk me through these things, boys. Okay, no problem, though. All I want you to do is, in your mind... Personal evangelism. It simply means that I, if I am a Christian, if I'm a child of God, if I'm faithful to God, and if I care about serving Christ myself, Galatians 2.20, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So if it's my goal every day that I get up to serve God through Jesus by living, by, with a living faith, and that means a part of that is an overwhelming desire to share what saved me with someone who isn't saved. Now, that's all personal evangelism is. Now, it's not always that simple, don't get me wrong. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But it's not this scary, abstract, way out there thing that I wish I could do. It's a great thing. I hope somebody does it. And I'll do what I can, but I can't do much kind of thing. I want you to, all of you, to begin to ask yourself. I don't ever, I don't ever tell me the answer because the answer isn't my business. Don't tell anybody else. But start thinking about what is it that I can do in my walk of faith as I serve God through Christ... Because I have an overwhelming love for those who are, for souls, for those who are lost, I want to do something to share the truth with them. What's that something that I can do? And that's what personal evangelism is, what it becomes for you. So as we think about that then, uh, there's two things that I wanted to think about from last week. And you agreed with this. This was a true and false question. There are some things that we must know. There are three essentials for us to be effective. First of all is understanding. We went through that. Second is knowledge. And that's what we discussed last week. 
there are some things that we absolutely must know before we can teach or influence a lost soul with the gospel of Christ. And you said that was a true statement. There are things we have to know. True or false, another review. As a Christian, I must be totally convinced that the tool that saves the lost soul of every accountable man or woman, man or woman is the gospel. True, that's the two. Okay, so with that said, we use an analogy of an axe. If you had 10 minutes to, top, to chop down a tree or forfeit your life, it's a scenario, I know, but think about it. If you were in a situation, you were given a very formidable tree and an axe. Makes me think of that book, that boy that had that dog that chopped down the tree, that coon dog, what was it? Was that old yeller? Red fern grows. I knew it wasn't old yeller. Well, the red fern grows. Uh, that was a big tree that he chopped down. But say you had one of those trees and you had 10 minutes. The, the wise saying, or the wise man said, you would do well to spend seven minutes sharpening your axe because you can do more in three minutes with a sharp axe than you'll ever do in 10 minutes with a dull one. And that makes sense on every level. And so we think about it from our own perspective. We think about, okay, when I identify that I want to share the gospel with others, and then I began to identify how I can go about that. Then I must sharpen my axe so that I can accomplish that. And that's what we were talking about. And I said this week we'd get into it a little more deeply. So prepare yourself. We're going to dig a little deeper tonight. We're going to dig a little deeper by asking the next question is, okay, what is it exactly that I need to know? What do I need to know? Yes, it's easy to say the truth, but I, there are five components that are involved in this axe sharpening. Six, actually. I think I put five up there and I've decided there's six. But there's six components, and we're only going to look at two tonight. There are six things involved in this what. What do I need to know? How do I sharpen my axe so that I can be effective? Six things that you and I must know. Six components. Number one... And you know which one's first. I must know the truth. Now, that's an easy thing to say, but let's dig a little deeper into it. I must know the truth. John 8, let's turn to some verses together. John 8, 31 and 32. I was hoping that other pair of glasses was up there. I don't like these. John 8, 31 and 32. I know Luther can quote no, verse 32. I can too, but... Can you quote 31 too? I don't think I can either. I want us to see verse 31 together. And it doesn't matter if we spend all of our time turning and reading these verses. Because if we get what's there. I want you to think about as we do this. Don't just think about that as an obligation. Well, I've got to know the truth. That means I've got to study this, this, and this. I have to have a pile of this, and I have to go through this. That may very well pan out for you. That's not how I want us to approach this thought process, this study. Okay, I want to be the best I can be in sharing the truth with somebody else. My, me. That means I can't do it somebody else's way. I have to do it my way. Now, 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 wait a minute. Don't misunderstand. I don't mean my way as opposed to however I want to do it. 
No, I mean based on who I am. And to do that, there are things I have to know, and the first one is the truth. Look at John 8, verse 31. There Jesus said, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And the reason why I wanted to read that, because it goes with verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He was talking to a group of people. He was directing his thoughts to a group who did not yet believe in him. And the context below that shows that. And he said to them, The only way you're ever going to be free from what's enslaving you now is the fact that is the truth. But then look what he said. If you abide in the truth, verse 31, then you're my disciples. What's a disciple? Well, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 28, 19 or 18, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. Teach them how to become a disciple. The disciples were called Christians, first in Antioch. So a true follower, someone, someone who is actually living, Galatians 2 and verse 20, who is crucified and alive and living by faith, that's a Christian. Oh, to do that, I have to what? Abide in the truth. Okay, now put Matthew 28, 19 and this verse together. In order for me to go out into all the world and teach someone how to be a disciple so that they will become a disciple, I have to abide in the same, in the same truth that I teach. I have to know it. You shall know the truth. Okay, so we'll make an application here in just a minute. Uh, but turn, I'm going to look at a few verses first. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. verses, I'm not sure we'll get to it tonight, uh, helps us understand that even, even better. But uh, the, the comment that was made is that abide has the understanding of dwelling in. I think of the word saturated. I think of the word saturated. <laughs> what, oh, good points. What the ground is now, saturated. And you know what's interesting? And, and this analogy may not work very well, but our lives, if we abide in the truth, then we are saturated with it. It's what comes out. It's what you dwell on, what you dwell in, what dwells in you. And all of those three things say the same thing, just from three different perspectives. And so your natural response to everything comes from the truth, is the truth, not comes from it. And so that's a very good point. And I want us to, um, and stop me at any point, and I, what, I, what I decided to do, last week I wasn't happy with the, uh, uh, some of you have microphone fear, so I'm just going to repeat the comments. Um, see, you don't understand out here, there were people actually shaking their heads back there. You know, I said, we'll, we'll get somebody, it's okay. And then others of you didn't mind, so just speak up. And I'll do my best to repeat it. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And thank you, 
Sister Anita, for you have to do that. You have to stop me. Um, student, uh, sometimes your students learn you too well because I had a student, I said something in class and I, I was, uh, she spoke up and I said, I, I said, okay, go ahead. I said, oh, never mind, go ahead. She said, oh, go ahead, Mr. Hodgson, finish. And then, and then another student said, you know he never finishes. You just have to say it. I said, you're right. So I'll just have to pause. Um, 1 Timothy 4, the first three verses. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and coming and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now it's this last part. The reason why we read this was to come down to the end of this verse. To be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So it's interesting, uh, Anita, your comment that you just made, the idea of if you abide, if you dwell in, if you're saturated by, what's this? He said there's going to be a time when some are going to depart from the faith. They're going to leave the faith. They're going to give in to all of these things. But he said down at the end, we know that those things, uh, which God created, he was just actually making a comment about the idea of abstaining from certain foods. And he said, we understand that that's not something to, to follow after, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe, not just believe. Sometimes I fear that we make a mistake. If I go out to teach the lost and I believe it with all my heart, but I'm not saturated in the faith, then I'm not going to have the influence that I really need to have. Or I get myself in a position... And this is something that's really happened. These have happened. Nod your head if you actually know of cases where it's happened. But I actually know of a couple of cases where someone started coming. Someone was, you know, really excited and, and somebody studied with that someone uh, and they were baptized into Christ and then they started coming. And you know why they didn't keep coming? Because the person who influenced them to come and got them connected with the Bible study, wasn't faithful enough to be there. They didn't have any depth, and therefore the person they influenced never obtained any depth. We get that, don't we? So those who know and, or those who believe and know the truth. We have to know the truth so that we're able to, to influence others with that whole truth. Okay, before we're done, it won't be tonight, we'll talk about, okay, just how much exactly do I have to know when I go out and study with somebody? That's, that's a coming, but not quite. We're not quite there yet. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. One book over. All I'm wanting you to see, don't get lost in these verses... I want you to see the importance that Scripture places. And all of these passages almost has that, for like, I don't know the, the best way to put that, almost it's not the primary gist. Knowing the truth is, is an underlying understood. And I want us to see that, and that shows how important it is. Somebody read that passage for me, please. 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26. 
nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they bring quarrels. And the Lord's servant must be not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently and hear in evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth. And they may escape from the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. Look at verse 25, so that they may what? Know the truth. Embedded in that, the, the uh, commandments there to, to Timothy. Don't get caught up in foolish questions. Don't get caught up in these fables and all of these uh, things that are unimportant, these things that are poisonous, these things that are deadly. Leave them alone and go on, he said, correcting those who are in opposition the right way. If perhaps God will grant them so that they may know the truth. The importance, our goal is for us to show someone the truth so that they will correct, they can correct what needs correcting. Now, I started to say car, but it can be anything. Have any of you ever had the, a situation in your life where someone tried to help you correct a problem, fix something, maybe a car or whatever, and that someone had no idea what they were doing. They just thought they did. Is anybody, yes or no, anybody ever had somebody help you? Okay, some of you are laughing almost painfully. Uh, oh yeah. My favorite is when someone helps me with my computer and, and it is worse than it was when I started, right? That's why now I have Jeremy on speed dial, okay? You know, now instead of saying, hello, Stephen, what do you need? How can I help you? Jeremy says, what do you want? You know, no, he really does. I'm kidding. He does not. Uh, but if you ever, seriously, someone who has tried to help you correct something, and they weren't qualified to do that correcting, but they wanted to do it for you. Well, notice here, listen to what's implied. Listen to what's underlying there. Correcting. How is Timothy going to correct them so that they can know the truth if he doesn't know it? Well, he can't. He had to know the truth and have the right spirit so that he could, with that truth, help those who needed correcting find that correction, right? And that's what I want to impress to you. I have to know that truth in that way. When I am looking at someone to help them, to help them find the truth, I have to know the truth that I am sharing with them in a way that they, understand, that they see its corrective power. Kind of mangled my thoughts there just for a minute. Let me back up and try that again. When I approach someone, I need to think about that person and what it is I'm trying to teach that person and be fully immersed in that something that I'm going to share with them so that I, when I do share it to them, I'm not simply saying, it's over, well, that's a songbook. It's over here, but I'm in it, it's in me, and I'm sharing that in a way that I've already let it correct me. That's where Timothy was told to be. Okay, let's look at another passage. 2 Timothy Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. 
2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. There's a principle here. Would you agree, before we read 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, you agree, of course, that doing something in an effort to teach someone else the truth is a responsibility of every Christian, yes or no? Okay, yes. So now somebody read 2 Peter 1 and verse 12. Now, wait a minute. What did he say? I won't be negligent to remind you of all these things. So, what? So, though you know and are established in the present truth, it was important that they stay, uh, they stay in a condition of abiding in the present truth, that they stay in the truth. Okay? It's important that we as Christians remind each other. Peter said, let me remind you of how important it is to stay in that truth. Okay, why? Why? How would you answer that question? Why, why was it important for him to remind them to remain in the truth they were currently in? <laughs> you can't teach anybody if you don't live it. If it's not in you, if you're not abiding in it, if it doesn't saturate you, if it's not a part of who you are, and if you're, you don't know it. Absolutely. So what I hope, let me tell you what I hope's happening here. What my, what my objective is in this lesson. Is that you come away with an understanding that, and I want to feel free to nod your head. Have you ever felt inadequate to teach others because you felt like there's somebody I've got to teach and here's, here's a mountain of stuff that I'm not sure that I know that I might have to talk about? Yeah. But rather than that, I let the truth, I live the truth. I strive to live the truth every day so that it's in me. And if it's in me, then I can share what's in me with somebody else. And you say, well, what if I get in a... No, that's, that's one of the five. You know, what if, I, what if I... That's one of the six, five or six, that we'll come to later. But this truth, knowing it for yourself, knowing it for your service, knowing it for your life, and you use that as your resource to teach others, from the beginning at least. Okay? Now let's look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 21. Okay, look at this one. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that there's no, uh, that no lie is of the truth. So again, the same thing that we just looked at. Obviously important. That truth, knowing the truth, is a, a part of a Christian's life. Part of a Christian's life. 
Not a resource on the shelf, but a part of his or her life. Now go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 23. Somebody read that. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body a flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above the before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Tell me what the passage says about the importance of a child of God knowing the truth. Being grounded in it. What does that mean to you, being grounded in it? Steadfast, okay. What does that mean? Unmoving, okay. Unmoving. Steadfast has the idea, it has a different perspective idea of the abiding in truth, doesn't it? Being steadfast in the faith, grounded in the faith. Where'd you get this faith that you heard from the gospel? So knowing the truth, being grounded in it, um, is important for us not just as Christians, but as those who would be sharers of the gospel. Okay? Now, John 6. Read two more here. John 6, 44 and 45. Jesus was talking here. These, are, these words are in red, and isn't it great? Because Jesus says that if you want to come to him... All you got to do is want it, and God will draw you to Him. That's what it says, isn't it? In verse 44, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, salvation then is when God draws you to Jesus. Right? But how does he draw you? Read verse 45. It is written that shall all be taught of God. See, those two verses together clear up any misunderstanding. That's exactly right. God's going to draw you to Christ, to him through Christ, so that you can be lifted up at the last day. Absolutely true. But how? He says, as it is written, they shall all be taught. Verse 45. Taught by God, therefore, anyone who has heard and learned from the Father has come by me. Listen, folks. How could we ever misunderstand the idea out there that, look, I believe in God and I believe in that Jesus is the answer and the salvation of, of my soul, but I'm just not sure about this Bible. As it is written, they shall all be taught of God. If I cannot rely on the written word, then everything else 
is null and void. Everything else. If I cannot rely on the written word as being God's word, then we're in serious trouble because there's nothing else available. It, as it is written, they shall all be taught of God. Now, okay, wait a minute. Think about the natural connection here. They, who? Those who want to come to God, shall be taught of God, who has heard and believed. Okay, what's necessary there? I'm thinking of Romans 10. Know what? They have to have a teacher. They have to have a teacher. Now, a teacher must be able to what? Know what they're teaching. Now, I won't ask you if you've ever, if you've ever had a teacher that didn't know what he or she was talking about. Because um, I'm afraid somebody might say me. Uh, but you get it though, right? That teacher has to know what he or she's teaching and be able to teach it. Otherwise, how is someone going to be taught? Because the scripture says they shall be taught of God. Now that pulls it all together so that I understand as a child of God who is commanded and who has the overwhelming desire to help another soul be saved. Absolutely. Now, did you hear the comment that uh, um, Anita made that in John 15, it talks about abiding uh, divine analogy, abiding in the vine and bearing fruit, that it's not an option that we bear fruit. And that's where I hope I have been gently leading us is that this is something that all of us must do. And we must find a way in which we can do it in accordance to God's will, of course, but in a way that works for us. We can do that. That's acceptable because Matthew 25 shows there, was, uh, there are five talent, two talent, one talent people. There are those who water, those who can plant. There are those, there's a role to play, but I have to play a role in the fruit bearing. So with this little side uh, note um, before we look at this last verse is that, okay, if we said, well, you know what, we're just going to, uh, uh, we'll I'll tell you what we'll do, we're, we're just going to have a, a, a choir come in because and train people to sing and let them sing for us. We'd start pulling out the scriptures and talk about the importance of, you know, we, we're, we're commanded to sing. Yeah, but there's so many people that don't sing very well. We'll let other people, well, people whoa, 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 you can't, uh, uh, forget all of that. Look at that verse. That verse says, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. It says, uh, psalms and hymns. And that's a command to every Christian at Ephesus and Colossae and, and Boonville. And every Christian is supposed to be praising God in song. I can't have somebody do it for me. Oh, I'm commanded to lay by in store that the way I've been prospered, I can't hope somebody does it for me. That's me. 
It's my command. I can't uh, get somebody else to take the Lord's Supper for me. I can't call Jeremy and say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make it Sunday. Will you take it for me? And he'd say, what? Because that's silly. So why then would I think uh, that I can, that someone else can do evangelism for me? That someone else can share the truth with the people that God has put in my path? Can't happen. Well, of course it is. That's why these verses make it clear that we have to be, you know, that, again, using that John 15, that fruit, that vine, that branch, I mean, won't bear fruit unless it's connected to the vine. If it's connected to the vine, it doesn't bear fruit, does it? Wind blew off a tree, uh, a branch, I mean, off of the uh, pear tree the other day. No pears this year because the frost got it. But last year it was loaded. Wind blew another branch off that was loaded with pears. Yeah, a whole bunch of them. They were green. I could have brought that on the porch and cried over it and prayed over it and hoped and just poured water over it and it would still have been dead. Why? Because it wasn't connected to the tree anymore. And those fruit were never going to bear. Done. Very good point. Now, let's look at one last verse for this particular. Look at verse James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And I want us to drop down to verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Okay, for a long... I have read that verse and studied that verse and never thought about it from the perspective of this particular... from this perspective until just now. That's the beauty of Scripture. What does verse 21 say? Explain it in your own words. I know I just read it, but what does it say to a person? If someone says, hey, I don't understand verse 21, explain it to me, please. Well, how would you do that? When you what? In the God's word. Okay. What else does that verse say to you? Yes. Make God's word. Go ahead. Absolutely. When you get rid of, repent, and you make God's word a part of your life, that's the engrafted. But wait a minute, implanted. Okay. How does something get implanted? Hmm? Work at it. How does something get engrafted, get implanted? Somebody puts it there. 
Somebody puts it there. Here, you can talk about the individual responsibility of letting that word in, but the principle, the application to us is obvious. There are those out there who aren't going to see the need for repentance until they are shown that by people who've already done it and who are living it, yes or no. And then there are those out there who need to repent who aren't going to see the need until someone shows them God's plan to correct that which needs correcting. Yes or no? And then there are those who aren't going to implant that word in them until there's someone to gently show them how to do that and help them do that. And that's what we're talking about in the course of these lessons, these studies. Um, Okay, that's just number one. Um, tell me what you think. Uh, questions or comments? The next one, well, I do want to, before I open it up for questions and comments, um, number two, we won't get into it, but number two is, and I want to see if you think that this makes sense to you. Number one, I must know the truth. Okay, and I understand that now maybe deeper than I had. But number two, I must know the world. Now, why would I need to know the world to teach somebody the truth? That's who you're teaching. Bingo. That's who you're teaching. Have you ever had an experience and you thought, how in the world can that person think that's okay? Have you? Yes. Well, unfortunately, I know how. I don't understand the, the reasoning. No. But I do now understand and I guess it's because I have encountered juniors and seniors in high school who have grown up surrounded by a mentality that they don't know any they don't know anything else they don't understand anything else so i have to understand that i'm trying to reach people who didn't you know who is really hard to reach the person who has no idea that he's lost I didn't know I was, what? Didn't know I was lost. So before I can help you be saved, I have to help you see that you're needed. Now that's a different thought process, perhaps. Right. Right. I'm thinking of a particular young man uh, in my experience as a teacher, and <laughs> Sister Melanie will probably know who I'm talking about, so don't say his name out loud. Uh, but he has a tendency to let a certain word come right out of it. There it comes. And, and there's been times when he said that word in my presence and went, <clears throat> sorry. Because it has become ingrained in his nature. In his personality. So he's doing a bad thing, not for a bad reason. He hasn't been given a better reason. So we'll, we'll dig into that, Lord willing. Questions or comments as we close? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Sir? Yeah, it's a reason you need to know the Word. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, that uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit. And, and there's, yes, we have to be aware of how people think and how they approach. And I have found it's not so much the, the doctrines as it is how people perceive the doctrines. I know, in other words, if I sit down from someone who has grown up in a certain religious mentality, I know he or she's thinking a certain way about a certain subject. And so I prepare myself for that. So absolutely. Uh, Let's have a prayer and then you may get your children. Gracious Father, thank you for letting us study your truth. Help us understand how important it is to know the truth in a deep and abiding way in our hearts so that we might not only live it and show, show it, but also share it to those who are lost before it is too late for them. Thank you, Father, for this church and this class. Bless our efforts and bless Saturday. In your son's name we pray. Amen.